I think Rob said it best. Be willing to study. Be willing to get after it. Have that desire to learn and and focus on the learning process. How I like to think about it is I want to get my doctorate in hitting. I want to be, I want to have that level of understanding of what's going on compared to just rolling some balls out and playing. Yes, there is a time and a place for that. But as a coach, how can I still do that to get the, get the guys fired up, but also have the wherewithal to say, okay, there's a method to this madness. I use that example in hitting all the time. You know, the first time you get your license and you're on the freeway going 70 miles an hour, you feel like you're driving 110, but when you've had your license for 10 years and you're going 70, you feel like you're going slow. Yeah. And, uh, and I think in a lot of ways, hitting can be the same. We train guys low game speed so much and then expect them to handle 95 on Friday night. You know, I think we want to create sort of that sense of fearlessness through our preparation. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. There it is. We are broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We are still your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold, the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Thanks so much for dialing into this week's show. Throwing out the disclaimer on the front end here before you get too deep in this episode and get blindsided. You can classify this one under the take feverish notes episodes that you've come to expect around here so bring pen and paper with you get prepared to fill up some pages i promise it's coming for the first timers make sure you hit subscribe on your device never miss a show reviews and ratings are always appreciated and share these shows with everyone inside your baseball circle connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram find us at abca1945 you can also head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Plus, make sure that you subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. You can catch up on season one of The Road Show on there and get ready for the new content coming your way very soon. Head over to youtube.com slash abca1945 to find us and hit subscribe. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter and Instagram or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Way too many texts and emails and DMs to sort through from the past few weeks, but it was awesome, and it's the most rewarding part of this job to hear from you. The coaches out there in the trenches are making moves with your players, and to hear how these shows are impacting you and how loyal of a listener you are, those are absolutely moving moments, so... They really hit home for us. But real quick, as many of you know, last week's show found us spotlighting women in baseball with two rock stars, Ashley Bratcher from USA Baseball, Mary Morandi from Minor League Baseball. And to hear from so many of you out there who appreciated this episode was awesome. It was so rewarding. But two notes in particular were off the chart. The first one is from Rachel Balkovec with the Dutch national team. Her note hit me hard. It was one of those emails that will live in your personal folder forever. So, again, thank you so much for sending that, Rachel. It means the world to me. Here's a tip of the cap connecting with you on here one day. And lastly, a text from one of my college teammates' wives, one of my best friends, Alicia Schweitzer. I've been on Scotty to listen for years, change up his routine, work these in. He's a super successful high school coach in Kentucky without him. But let's dial it up. And little did I know, 
Alicia has been a loyal listener this entire time. Never misses a show, loves the content, and I smiled all weekend long just like I am right now. So see wives out there, these shows are for you too. And I know he blasts my voice through your car speakers on road trips and you try to drown him out and go to sleep. He's trying to help you challenge yourself to grow. So you got to love that. We're bringing you along for the ride with us. So huge thanks to each of you dialing in and much more coming your way. And one last shout out to the proud sponsor of this podcast, our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. Give them a follow on social media at AstroTurf USA. You can check out the amazing quality, the exceptional work that's being done by these folks on facilities around the country. Check out Tulane and Vanderbilt, so many other facilities. But you got to make time to head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com. Find out why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. And lastly, let's get into a tremendous discussion this week on the offensive side of the baseball with two guys that I am always challenged by when I hear them speak. First up, Rob Ruiz, the head coach at Westmont College in California, one of the upper echelon NAI programs in the country, and also Brett Thomas from Blast Motions, one of our proud ABCA partners and presenter of our Barnstormers Clinics Tour. Both of these guys stopped by to break down their approaches to developing and grooming elite-level swings. Now, there's something for everybody inside this show as we break down movements and assessments. We get into the cages and talk technologies, adjustments, and coaching cues. We spend time breaking down group and individual training, and throughout the entire episode, these guys drop knowledge from their growth as hitting coaches to packing the back half of the show with drills and ideas that if I were a betting man, they will show up on your practice plan very soon. So here we go. BP groups are set. T-work and lead-up drills are knocked out, and it's time to let the barrel eat. With Rob Ruiz from Westmont College and Brett Thomas from Blast Motion, they are our guests on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're going to dive into the offensive side of the baseball. I've got two rock stars on the line with us. We're going to open up a, just a myriad of topics inside today's podcast, and it's a lot of takeaways that you're going to be able to bring back to your practice plan, bring back to your practice schedule, and hopefully move your offense forward. And again, inside of this, we're talking a lot of uh, swing techniques. We're talking technology. We're talking training. We're bringing all of it to the table with two guys that certainly know their way around a baseball. Let's bring them in one at a time. First, I want to welcome in the key account manager for Blast Motion, Brett Thomas. Brett, thanks for jumping on with us. Thank you so much, Sheets. I'm fired up, man. Excited to have you. And also want to welcome in the head baseball coach and associate athletic director at Westmont College, Rob Ruiz. Rob, thanks for jumping on with us. Sheets, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you. And again, a lot to get to in this conversation, but uh, I do need to tell you, before we get too deep into this, and this may be a deal breaker for this entire conversation, I'm going to need both of you to go to In-N-Out, get me a nice double-double, put it in a uh, in dry ice, and I need you to ship that to North Carolina. Can we get that done? We can get that done, man. Okay. We can get that done. Do you need an animal style, or you just like uh, it as is? Animal, kill the onions, and let's go uh, Neapolitan shake. And if you can put that in dry ice on a box, and that can show up here in the next couple of days, we'll release this on Tuesday. 
<laughs> so <laughs> no pressure there at all. Um, I'm take care for you. Awesome. I love it. Some West Coast dudes. But again, guys, I've spent a lot of time with Rob. Had a chance to speak out on the Barnstormers Clinics tour when we were at UCLA this past fall. Uh, Brett and I have spent a lot of time together, a lot of long trips uh, out on the Barnstormers tour as Blast is our official partner that brings that and supports that clinic tour. But let's get into this offensive side of the baseball and and where you two, I think, will shine inside this interview. But certainly, let's start it off from the ABCA perspective. Rob, from the coaching end, can you go into your experience being part of the association, certainly speaking at Barnstormers, attending conventions, and just what the associations have been able to do for you throughout your career? Absolutely. Uh, I think I attended my first convention uh, about 15 years ago and uh, fortunate that my the head coach I worked for at the time was was willing to bring me along. And uh, I, I can genuinely say, Sheets, that it, it was a life-changing experience for me. Mm. It shaped my view on on the career of coaching baseball. Um, and I just met people and, and saw a side of the game that I didn't know existed. Um, wow. And uh, and and I really, from that point, haven't looked back. I um, I really I really feel like, you know, the amount of guys that, that show up and are willing to just pour out information on how to make people better, mm-hmm. uh, not just better baseball players, but build better programs, be better leaders. Um, it really was. I, I don't take that statement lightly. I really was a life changing experience for me. And, you know, I think, I, as I said a minute ago, I'm most grateful for the coaches that really sacrificed to get me there. I think mm-hmm. when I look back in my first couple of years as a coach, probably didn't even deserve that opportunity. But I know somebody brought them there and and, uh, and they made it a priority to get me there. And and I've done the same with mine. So just for all the guys out there that have been making it a priority to help people get to convention, um, yeah, I really commend that. It is, uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a situation that helps to build better coaches. And uh, it's so good for this game. And, and, uh, and I owe a lot of the things that I've learned over the years and even my ability to move up in the ranks of coaching um, to things that I've taken from those conventions and my experience at the ABCA. So huge fan. And uh, it's certainly done a lot for me. Gosh, that's awesome. I, I do want to follow up with you because, uh, and we were laughing before we hit record, um, having the chance to have you out there at UCLA and, of course, knowing you for a number of years before that. But I, I've often remarked to a lot of people, man, what was some of the best presentations you saw? And I always bring up your hitting presentation there in the cages. You had some players demo, and you want to talk through that experience? Yeah, that was a great experience for me. First time I get to talk in a, in a setting like that about hitting um, and, and just really enjoyed the opportunity to interact with all the coaches that showed up and, uh, and, uh, and, and have a few of my players come out and demonstrate some drills. I think one of the things that I've taken so much away from barnstormers and from the convention over the years, is just being able to see the different drills that people use, why they're using them and how they're using that to really implement and develop a, a philosophy. And so that was kind of one of my, my key, I guess, principles going into that weekend was really just wanting to be able to give guys stuff that they could take home because I know how, how valuable that's been to me as a coach over the years. And so we kind of overloaded it with drills and, and, and tried to give the reasons why. And, and I really enjoyed the chance to do that. Got a lot of feedback afterward and have had the chance to interact with some coaches um, since then that, that either came out or who saw the video um, and, uh, and that's been really rewarding as well, because I feel like in some small way, I've had a chance to give back a little bit to, to other coaches since I've, you know, gained so much over the years from so many other guys. That's outstanding. All right. Now, Brett, same question, man. Of course, the ABCA has been welcomed into your life through the Barnstormers tour and you and I sharing a lot of, a lot of minivans, uh, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of fast food dinners, a lot of, uh, hotel rooms, but, um, you've gotten to see really the on the road, the in those coaches' offices type approach that we've taken here at the ABCA. So take us through that experience, and then obviously at convention, you're living on the 
exhibitor side of things. Open that up. Yeah, man. When it comes to the barnstormers here, it from everybody's side, from, I mean, shoot, parents, dads, coaches, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And it's because it, it it builds this bond and it builds this this brotherhood and just an experience of, of being transparent with everybody and, and dropping some serious knowledge bombs. <laughs> I mean, being able to go to Tulane and hear Travis talk and yeah. getting to getting the when Taylor Garrison came back from the UCLA Barnstormers and he was talking about uh, he was talking about Rob and just how unbelievable his his speech was, his presentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a fountain of knowledge and education that you just can't beat. Um, spending time on Saturdays and Sundays, spending times away from your family. That's already, uh, there's already a number of days like that, but it is worth it seeing it from that side. And from, from kind of an exhibitor side, even on the barnstormers, how open all the coaches have been and responding to us being there and treating us so well and, and, and having us be a part of that family. It's, it's been an experience of a lifetime for, for myself. And it's, um, it's something that's always, always been a goal to be in, in the room, on the field with some of the brightest and best minds. And that, that is that opportunity. Oh, you guys are awesome. Sweet. Okay. Now let's keep rolling downhill because Brett, I think you being a, just an, an interesting piece inside this, this particular interview, Rob's out there coaching a team day in and day out, and by the way, doing it really well. <laughs> especially this year, Westmont off to a fantastic start and, and doing just great things on the field. But Brett, you're bringing a career path in baseball that is so unique. And what I love about you, you said a word in there, the transparency that you're willing to bring to you leaving the University of Oregon, getting into professional baseball and how that career really transpired and certainly how that's shaped you into what you do day in and day out. Can you take us to your career path? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, twists and turns, just like everyone else's. But uh, it started in uh, San Diego, uh, California. It's where I grew up. Uh, man, was I fortunate on that end! And got to when I went to high school. Actually, my high school coaches. One was a former big leaguer, Tom Bernanski, and then the other two uh, were pro ball players, but they just didn't make it to that to the show. So just being around that at the age of fourteen was unbelievable. Just Every day showing up at the yard and saying, okay, sweet. What am I going to learn today? Sure. What am I going to, what am I going to pull away? Uh, so I was really fortunate on that end. And then, uh, I got to, I got the opportunity to go to university of Oregon and, uh, played there for three years under, under coach Horton and, uh, man, just another incredible, it, it was very much so from a mentality standpoint, mm-hmm. how can we be mentally tougher and better fit for the long haul of that season compared to other programs. And uh, we, we did a pretty good job, uh, had some success. It was fun. It was, it was, a, it was a trip. I mean, my, my college roommate, one of them uh, is a big leaguer now. So it's, I mean, got to just sit back and, and enjoy that ride. Sure. After, uh, after three years though, at, uh, at, at Oregon, I got drafted by the Mariners and, uh, Man, that was a huge, huge opportunity and so much fun. And uh, got to go to, I think it was five or six different affiliates within that time. Got to spend uh, a, a good amount of time learning from the players, you know, mm-hmm. learning from the guys who uh, from Latin America, the guys from South America, the guys who 
I grew up in San Diego, and all of a sudden, I'm playing with guys from New York and New Jersey who just totally live something different. <laughs> sure. And uh, uh, yeah, I was I was the blonde haired kid who everybody asked me if I surfed or not, yeah. and uh, that's kind of how we started. <laughs> but um, y- you know what? It, it ended. It ended. Uh, you know, it just, it just ended, and uh, got I got released, and I was like, okay, I'm okay with not playing baseball. I'm not. Gonna to be around baseball anymore Mm -hmm. so i went my suit and tie job and that all went about three weeks and then i get a call from a guy who's been very influential for me who coached me for a while and said hey i'd love for you to help me out and coach some 12 year olds i'm like yeah sweet how hard is this gonna be you know (laughs) like 12 year olds that's awesome i'm just gonna show up throw some bp life's gonna be good (laughs) sure man as everybody else knows i was in for a rude awakening understatement Uh, of the podcast right there (laughs) (laughs) yeah man and uh so i I got to i got to start coaching and it, it put a whole different perspective and gave me so much more appreciation on what that's all about the day in day out like i said i mean the saturday morning 8 a.m games are no joke the sunday morning 8 a.m games are even more of no joke <laughs> so all of a sudden uh that just really blossoms and wow. so i was still doing my suit and tie job and i was like you know what this isn't for me so fortunately enough uh Blast Motion sent me a LinkedIn message and said, hey, what do you think about working here? Hmm. I was like, baseball, I know how to use a phone. I know how to do this. Like, that's close enough for me, man. Let's get it going. Sure. And uh, I got back into into the sport on a little bit of a different side. And um, it's been incredible. It's been... uh, Hmm. It's been one of the best experiences of my life being a part of Blast and, and helping and and absorbing as much as I can for coaches. And now, uh, now we're here. Before we get into Rob's story, can you, Brett, kind of open up those years there in the minor leagues with the Mariners? Because I think there's there's a little bit that'll set the tone here in that, uh, and you and I have talked about this, and you talked about this uh, again on the Barnstormer stage, just as to wanting to try everything and taking everyone's yeah. advice. And, and you, honestly – Never really getting settled in, man. Hey, I know my own swing. Now, what can you give me that can help me move forward? Yeah. Can you open that up? Absolutely. As as kind of that progression went, I all of a sudden looked back and I had technically eight hitting coaches in a three-year span. And mm. I was the type of player and I'm the type of person who's a, who's a yes man, who's a yes person. Mm. Yes, coach. Yes, sir. Anything you need, anything to get the team to get going. Um, that's, that's what I pride myself on, but it it was a little bit of an Achilles heel for me as well, because all of a sudden I'm hearing a, Hey, you gotta, you have to feel this. And then, Oh, but your mentality has to be right. But all of a sudden, what's your back elbow doing? And then that analysis paralysis starts to get in. And I didn't know who I was as a hitter by the end of my career. I was trying to piece together eight different people's opinions of my swing and form it into one instead of saying, Hey, this is my swing and I, I appreciate and I respect your advice. I'm going to try it, but if it doesn't work for me, I'm going to go back to what fits me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that it, it was incredibly eye opening for me on that standpoint. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Rob, take us into your career. And again, seems like winnings kind of followed you around everywhere that you've been. Can you open up your career in baseball and, and bring us up to current day? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and after hearing some of Brett's experience in, in the minor leagues, I got to be honest, I'm excited to, to get a little deeper into this conversation. Cause I think there's some good things we're going to be able to talk about when it comes to hitting. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been on a little different track. I went to, uh, a, 
a smaller public high school up in, in Northern California, South San Francisco High School, played baseball there and and uh, somehow found my way down to Pomona Pitzer down in Southern California, a small Division three program um, that really at that point re- wasn't very successful. And uh, I think it was my junior year, we, we progressively got a little better each year. I appreciate you pointing out that we winnings followed us around. I'm not, not sure why yet. I haven't figured that out. But, uh, but we won the first conference championship, I think, in, in 47 years. And then we mm-hmm. won it again senior year. It was a for a small college program. It was a great experience, uh, certainly life-shaping uh, in a lot of ways. And I played for, for an awesome coach who really invested in, in each of us as individuals. And I think that really um, it t- took its toll on me. I didn't realize it at the time. And it's funny. I share this with recruits sometimes, and it scares them. But uh, um, if you'd asked me my senior year in college what I was going to do, I said probably anything but coaching. At that point, it really wasn't on my radar, and uh, it wasn't the path that I thought I was headed down. Um, and so I graduated. I worked in the business world for about a year, and and my coach, who 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 I played for at Pomona Pitzer, had taken the job at Azusa Pacific University my senior year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Paul Swag just called me and. And said, "Hey, we need to have a conversation. I think you should come get a master's degree and think about getting into coaching." And uh, I really hadn't put any thought into it until that phone call. And uh, I said, "Well, I'll come down and I'll visit with you and I'll think about it." And I was in a similar place to Brett, not not super excited about the job that I was in, and thought, "Man, this is kind of interesting." And if nothing else, I can get a master's degree. So I went down, met with him, and um, I decided I'm gonna, I'm going to take the plunge and see what this is all about. And uh, pretty quickly fell in love with it. It, w- it was a lot of things that I never thought it would be. And, and uh, all the things I think I probably had previously thought about coaching, most of them were probably wrong. Uh, but, uh, but you know, as a player, your perspective is totally different. And uh, so as I got in on the coaching side um, at, at APU, we really, we really just, my first couple of years, it was like training ground. I was, um, I was learning as I went and, uh, and learning from my mistakes and trying to soak up everything I could, as I said earlier. I was fortunate that that Paul was willing to bring me along to every convention, and and I think he did that because the coaches that he played and coached for, um, uh, they did that for him, and and I really started to try to soak up knowledge as much as I could and start to feel like, man, I can get passionate about this. I really like this stuff, and uh, we were fortunate. We did have some success there. We had, I think, in the, I was there for five years. We made two trips to the NAI World Series in Lewiston, Idaho. We had, I think, seven guys drafted in the five years that I was there, and two of them uh, became big leaguers and both were hitters, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, awesome to have the chance at a small school to work with guys that get that far in the game. But, uh, we, we were, we were a pretty, pretty talented team. Uh, I wouldn't take any credit for that. I was learning most of the time that I was there, but, um, after, after the five, five years that I was there, I was fortunate to the Westmont job opened up and somehow they took a chance on a 28 year old, uh, young guy that, that knew just a little tiny bit about coaching at that point. <laughs> Um, but, but I landed this job here in Santa Barbara and, uh, certainly living in a nice, nice place in California where the weather isn't impacting us and we're having the opportunity to do a lot of things on a baseball field. But, um, yeah, I took, got the job here at 28 and, uh, uh, my first year we were 13 and 34. It was one of the most miserable coaching years of my life. Um, also my first year of marriage. So I'm grateful for my wife who stuck it out, but, uh. But this, this, I've been here now for 10 years at Westmont, and I can tell you this has been an unbelievable experience in just personal growth as a teacher and as a leader. It's forced me to really humble myself, to ask some hard questions, to allow myself to be proven wrong. And, and a lot of that, I think, I can, I can point to directly even in just teaching hitting, but in so many things in coaching, 
Um, but our first couple of years, it was, it was just, a, a consistent push to getting better and figuring out who we wanted to be as coaches. Uh, brought along my, my, uh, associate head coach, Tony Cagool, who I actually grew up playing baseball with. And he's been here with me now for 10 years as our full-time assistant and our pitching coach. And he's done an amazing job for me, um, in our program. But, uh, yeah, for seven consecutive years, we won more games than the previous year. In the 10 years we've been here, we've broken the, the single season wins record three times. And we've been to the national tournament for the last five years. And I think we've had 11 guys drafted or signed in the last five. So for a small school of 1,200 kids, I feel like we made some significant strides and I'm excited about what we're doing. But I can tell you, um, uh, as each year goes by, I think I, I'm learning how much there is out there that I don't know. And that's what makes me so excited about being here on this podcast and just all the things you guys are doing at the ABCA, helping coaches like me continue to develop and find ways to impact our guys. It's outstanding. Well, I mean, it, it makes it a no-brainer. Obviously, I, I knew what Brett would bring. Hearing you speak helped. But, I mean, let's talk – I mean, this year made it an, an absolute no-brainer, especially at the point we are right now. You guys are sitting there ranked number three in the country. You're 22-3. and three. Things are really going well for this year's team. And so I think for any listener across any level of the game, we're talking youth all the way through some guys in – professional baseball it's an opportunity to hear from two of the best and so let's paint this picture for him and I think both of you walking through this would be really neat to hear what you say um, and I don't want to get too deep into the growth so the in-between years let's try to stay away from because that's the process part of this but I do want to hear from and Rob start us off on this one being a hitting coach track your growth take us back to that first year in coaching your thoughts your beliefs what you where you really stood and then take us to current day, and we'll obviously see the difference between the two. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's actually pretty scary, but uh, I think <laughs> you know, uh, when I come, when I, if if we really want to come at this from a place of humility, and and Brett used the word transparency earlier, yeah. and you touched on that. I think you know, if I've learned anything in the last few years about coaching, is just getting to that place is one of the best places you can be because mm-hmm. it just get, allows for growth. And so, you know, my first few years at APU, I know that I was pretty certain about a few things, and. Um, I remember actually back then giving some hitting talks and I save everything I do. So I've looked back on that and thought, man, I couldn't teach 80% of what I said back then. Um, but, uh, I laugh at it now because, uh, because you know, the, the game humbles you over time and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's been pretty amazing to see that. So I think if I really drill down into that, mostly I'd say I was probably scared to be proven wrong as a young coach. And so kind of insecure about the knowledge base that I had. And, and I had a little chip on my shoulder because, you know, I was a younger coach and I wanted to prove myself. And so I'd I'd say if nothing else, early in my career, that's probably what inhibited me the most from being a successful coach. So when I look at who I am as a hitting coach today versus then, I was unwilling to learn at that point. And and I'd say today I'm, I'm learning, I'm, I'm eager to learn more than I ever was early in my career. And, and that's taken, um, you know, time to really grow through, through some things. Um, but I, I think that I've kind of just sort of decided that if we love what we do and we want to do it at a high level, you need to have humility and we need to study. And that really, for me, uh, as a coach, that's really as a hitting coach, um, that's where it, that's what it comes down to being willing to be proven wrong or take others ideas and then uh, being willing to study. I mean, there's so much information that's out there now um, that I've had to stop and take time hours with my staff uh, to continue to study how we teach hitting. And really, that's helped evolve my thought process. I was really big on what I thought good posture was early in my career and and where balance was supposed to be set and shifted. And you know, I've changed a lot of those things just based on the information that's out there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, where I where that's brought me today, I'd say, you know, you need to know enough to know that you don't know everything. That's really important to me. 
um, and have a desire to listen that's probably greater than your desire to speak. Uh, early on, I'd talk, I would talk a whole lot, and, uh, and I never really wanted to stop and listen and evaluate other people's ideas. But um, I really think that uh, you know, when you can process information before you draw conclusions, you give yourself a chance to grow as a coach and learn what you want to do. And, you know, it, I think back to that old hitting talk and I thought to myself, well, half of what I might tell you on this podcast today might change in five to 10 years. But yeah. I would say as a hitting coach, you know, a lot of this, what I'm telling you is just about being open minded. I think I've come to a place where I can just be OK with that now and understand there's going to be new thing, new, new types of technology. They're going to help me um, understand the swing a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I, I really I think I've come to a place where it's about it's about constant learning. It's about reaching out to people that have good ideas. I've taken so much from uh, coaches across the country where, you know, I think what I'm teaching, the drills I'm doing, um, those things have all changed a ton over time. And and if, and, and we'll, we'll dive into all that. But if I pointed to anything specifically, um, you know, early on, it was about a lot of slow speed drills. And I'd say more now we're, we're a lot more focused on game speed and overspeed training than than I ever was. That's a big thing for me right now. And um, it's just a, that's maybe a simple example of something that I would say philosophically, you'd see a major shift in the way that I spend time training our hitters. That's outstanding. I mean, just absolutely, uh, just my microphone is covered in humility right now from you two. Um, and I'm excited <laughs> about moving forward with this. Brett, same question, man. Just take us through who were you in those early days and especially relative to who you are today and your belief system. What do you got? First of all, Rob, wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, that was outstanding, man. Uh, Early on, it was all about it was all about feel. Hey, how can I get this hitter to feel what I'm trying to tell them, or that I want them to feel? Yeah. So there were there were tons of drills, right? Tons of drills, and I and I thought back to my playing days, and uh, I think that was a little bit of a crutch for me, uh, and I think that was something that I learned from that I couldn't always revert back to what did I do or what did I try to do because everyone's different mm -hmm. everybody has that different mentality everyone has that different body type everybody has you know the, you, the list goes on right so having that feel and then it trans and then it transformed into like i mentioned a little bit earlier the mentality hey get on the rubber let's get after it you ain't gonna get me out doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how hard you throw when i was at oregon my freshman year i had to face mark appel uh, Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole and all those guys are just starting to throw 102 and I've never seen something like that in my life. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so so get, getting back to it, you had to have that mentality because you knew that their stuff was elite. And looking back at that, the the missing link for me was okay, where's what what sort of process was I creating for myself when I was teaching, when I was coaching for that for that time with with those 12-year-olds? I was all about feel. I was all about mentality. I kind of had them doing all something very, very similar. Yeah. And it worked for 25% of them. Right. And the 25%, you know what? They got to hit one, two, and three. Yep. Here we go. Sweet. <laughs> and then from there, uh, don't check my math, by the way. Don't check my math. But anyways. Um, <laughs> makes sense to me. You yeah, know, I'm not yeah. a math guy, so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, so... So once that process stuff started to started to kind of formulate, and um, I, I got I got to where I am right now, uh, I think I think Rob said it best: be willing to study, yeah. be willing be willing to get after it. 
um, have that desire to learn and and focus on the learning process. And how I like to, how I like to think about it is, I want to get my doctorate in hitting. Like, I want to be, I want to have that level of understanding of what's going on compared to just rolling some balls out and playing. Yes, there is a time and a place for that. But as a coach, how can I still do that to get the, get the guys fired up, but also have the wherewithal to say, okay, there's a method to this madness. Yeah. There is an understanding and a clear cut thing, that objective thing that we want to execute. And so that changes from player to player, that changes from game to game, that changes from tournament to tournament because of who we're facing. But that process is consistent in how we go about it. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned, man. That's the biggest growth that I've, that I've seen, that I've had. And just I don't stop asking. Every phone call I get, I get on. I try to say, hey, so what are you doing? Because I don't have all the answers. There's no way. You say it best. I don't have all the answers. So having that mentality has helped me kind of blossom from the, hey, I'm just going to feel it until it feels good, or I'm going to beat you because you're across from me. There's another step to it. Okay. Now let's, let's open, let's open this side of that up. Cause I, and I've said this on a few other, the offensive and hitting podcasts we've talked about, um, and, and very transparently again, early on in my coaching career, man, my understanding is being a hitting coach was purely mechanics. So when you're talking about feel and you're talking about you know really getting your hands on those guys and having them go through motions, it revolved around mechanics and maybe being blind, but really trying to define myself as the mechanical hitting guy as opposed to the offensive hitting coach. Do you guys resonate with that feeling as well? Yeah, I would say early on, early on, I would, uh, I mean, it was, that was the only thing that yes. I thought of. Um, and that was, there, I mean, there wasn't even an afterthought of anything else. And I think slowly it's really about figuring out people and how they how their brain works and said the whole thing about feel is it's amazing because we could spend hours trying to get people to understand something that we that we understand in the the way that we interpret it but it just doesn't doesn't play out like that for every guy and so figuring out how to maximize their strengths how to help them understand what they're doing and have a purpose and a plan um yeah i mean i i I would say now i've shifted a lot more to the side of how, how how can i how can you be a piece to this this puzzle that is our offense that's going to allow us to be at our absolute best? And I think that changes everything about the way I look at hitters. So for me, that certainly is, I resonate with that. What about you, Brett? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, early on it was, how, how I've grown to, to get to this point is I need, I, need a main, I need to be as objective as possible hmm. while trying to have that player feel that emotion. Or, or get that feeling. But if I try to put my feelings onto them, mm-hmm. there's a clash. Mm-hmm. And staying as objective as possible, staying as, I don't, I don't want to call it neutral because it's, it's full gas all the time. But mm-hmm. if we, if we can maintain that sort of, gosh, I'm going to, it's, it's our buzzword today, humility. If, yeah. if I can, if I can, if I can stay in that, in that space, players take off. Players understand themselves a lot more. There's, they have longer hit streaks. They don't get in slumps as often. Their slumps are maybe a couple of days or a, a batting practice instead of rolling into a week. And having that, so then once you bring emotion, it's positive emotion. And once you bring that feel, it's a positive feel. Then that's where 
results really start started to happen. Yeah, I'm trying to liken it to a lot of things outside of baseball in terms of uh, I almost feel like you know it's hard to find a really good young 21, 22, 23, 24 year old hitting coach that's out there that just man he's got it and he's got the feel. Uh, which is a, obviously a huge piece of this. He's got feel for people. He's got feel for himself. He knows when to, you know, come out from behind the L screen, when to hang back, uh, has a plan, has all that. But it's almost like, you know, anyone that's into public speaking, uh, anyone that's into, uh, heck, driving a car, you're a much better driver at 30 than you were at 16. You're, you're a public speaker. You got to go out and, and do a lot of speeches for free and to five people to one day, 10 years later, get paid and speak to 100 people. And so I think it's like a matter of taking reps. And the more reps you take, the more that you fail. I was having a talk with a young coach about that this past week and just, hey, man, you're going to get out here right out of college and you're going to coach some things, teach some things, say some things that 10 years from now you're going to laugh about and you're going to go, wow, I was so far off. But that's part of taking the reps. It's part of, you know, obviously cutting your teeth inside this game. Okay, so go into Brett and start us off the takeaways from that process. When you step back and you look through all those things and you've laid out a few of them, but detail them out, the takeaways of what really stands out to you, where it really jumps off the page that, again, brings you back to that centered place and, and of a humble spirit. Yeah, it's, it's getting to know the player. It's getting to know the, the person who is that player and how they operate, yep. what, what brings them joy, what fires them up, what brings them down, and being able to empower that player to understand that and focus on just the task at hand. The last thing that that I want or that any coach I feel like would want is for that player to not to step in the box and think that they cannot do it. That's not that's never gonna happen, man. I'm not I will use every ounce of energy that I have that coaches have to make sure that when they get in the box, they feel like Hercules. They feel mm-hmm. like whoever they want to feel like. They want to feel like Mike Trout. They want to feel like those guys. So I really firmly believe it starts there. And that's when I started talking the most was to try to get to know the players and then just sit back when they're doing drills, when they're taking swings in the cage, when they're in game, because that, that's me evaluating them as a player, not as a person. Yeah. And once, once I got to understand that, and once once I got to the got to see the the players succeed from from that sort of from that empowerment standpoint, it's then we can get into okay. Here's how we're going to tweak some things, mm-hmm. and it's because I want you to be the baddest man in the box. That's why. That's why. That's why I'm doing this with you. It's not because you can't hit. It's not because I don't think you're good enough. It's because I'm going to get you to wherever you want to go and i'm going to be that aid and that power and everything that you need so that's that's really what stood out for me and the big takeaways throughout that growth process man it was it's it's been fun and i'm, I'm just going to keep rolling i love keep it going keep learning. i love it well let's be clear when i step in the box i want to be mike trout's bank account that's all i want to be i'm not worried about much else at this point in my career is just being living in that checking account space um, that's right Rob, can you take us into that? What are the takeaways that jump out to you when you evaluate the entire process inside of guiding hitters? What jumps off the page to you? Yeah, I think some of my biggest takeaways, very similar. I really resonate with some of the things that Brett said. And also just uh, that while I think that my knowledge base and getting my PhD in hitting, as, as Brett said earlier, is is 
absolutely a critical piece of the puzzle to developing hitters in a program. The, my knowledge actually doesn't matter as much as it is my ability to know my players. And mm-hmm. so uh, what I have to share with an individual, if I don't know how to get that across efficiently or effectively, it's worthless. And I can, I can still have that PhD or that degree and uh, it's meaningless. And so my biggest takeaway has really been figuring out how to help players get to a place where they can take some ownership in their development. They can join the conversation about who they're going to become as a hitter. If they want to become Mike Trout or, you know, Her- Hercules in the box, whoever it is that mm-hmm. we say they want to be, that they're taking ownership in that. And they're just as eager to talk to me about it as I am to talk to them. And and that that allows me to sit back and and set short and long-term goals, but not to have to overcoach. You know, I spent too much time in the 15 years that I've been in college baseball over coaching guys and, and really tying them up in knots. And I really, you know, I've gotten to a place where, you know, I think there's nothing better than to be able to allow the, a hitter the space to tell you what they feel and then to help them figure out what they need to get from where they are today to where, where they want to go. And, and I think that's exactly what Brett's saying. And that's, that's been my biggest takeaway is really, I got to look down the road for them and I got to contemplate that and figure out how and when to give them what they need rather than just dump a whole bunch of information on them because, I want to prove that I know how to set up their mechanics in a particular way. Um, and I think that that's proven not only develop better players for me, but the relationships that I've developed in that time. I mean, you know, uh, I think I've seen exponential growth in that area and that's rewarding as a coach. That's the stuff you remember. You don't remember how you changed a guy's swing, but you know what I mean? You, yeah. you, you cherish those moments when you get to go to their wedding or, or you yeah. get to be around when they have their first kid. So, um, you know, that to me, that's, that's a huge takeaway. Okay. So listeners, if you're paying attention, which we hope that you are and you're scrambling to, to get the feverish notes down, uh, a couple words I want you to write down real quick. That's obvious if you're paying attention. Sincere, genuine, caring relationships, player-driven, egoless, selfless, all about others, servant leadership, and I'll give you the last one, the 10th one, invested. And I think that's the one that's jumping off to me is, man, these dudes are in vested in the people that they're in charge of directing and leading. And certainly the spirit behind it is palpable through the airwave. So let's keep this thing rolling. And Rob, if, if any players looking at Westmont and they walk in to be part of the Warriors baseball program, can you, for our listeners, maybe just rise above, give us that 30,000 foot overview of your overall hitting philosophy. What do you believe in? What do you teach? How does it all come together there on campus? I would hope that, you know, as a kind of a core philosophy in our program with building an offense and just teaching hitting, um, I stole this from Hefner at one of the conventions. Almost everything I do, I got from somebody um, um, or at least a version of it from somebody. But he talks about building bigger engines. And I think I really resonated with that and hung on to that. I think it's my job to really be able to break down the body and the movements within the swing so that I, I can figure out a way to build bigger engines so that I can take a guy who thinks he's a doubles guy and teach him that he's got more in the tank. Um, so, so, so really just kind of a core philosophy is I'm trying to get guys um, to a place where, where they are fearless in the box, they're comfortable at and above game speed, and, um, and, and we're going to put them in situations to, to get there. You mentioned the example earlier about driving a car. Mm-hmm. I, I use that example in hitting all the time. You know, the first time you get your license and you're on the freeway going 70 miles an hour, you feel like you're driving 110. But when you've had your license for 10 years and you're going 70, you feel like you're going slow. Yeah. And, uh, and I think in a lot of ways, hitting can be the same. We train guys below game speed so much and then expect them to handle 95 on Friday night. And uh, 
And so, um, you know, I think we want to create sort of that sense of fearlessness um, and and through our preparation. And then um, just really, I mean, we've touched on this a lot already, so I won't go too deep, but we're going to, in our offense and in the way we develop and teach hitting, we're going to create a culture and an environment of learning. And I really, truly believe in that. Um, You know, teachers let students ask questions. I tell my players this all the time. What classroom do you get yelled at for raising your hand? And I think that uh, it's got to be no different on the baseball field. If I can't explain what I need you to do, then you need to ask me a hundred questions until I figure it out. That's my job. Mm-hmm. And I want my guys to know that. I want them to feel comfortable doing that. I want them to know that this is a place where we're, we're going to grow together. And, uh, and I'm not afraid of not having an answer to a question. I have to get above that as a coach mm-hmm. if I'm going to take them anywhere. So really, we, we just try to break things down into small pieces. And, and, and I really believe the relationship is reciprocal. We got to work together. They've got to invest in it as well as, as we do, and they got to care about it. And I think, you know, when you give them the chance to ask questions and be a part of the growth process, they really do buy in and get get invested. Um, and maybe two more things. Yeah. I said this earlier. I think in our program, we believe coaches need to study the game. We're going to use technology and data, but we're going to use it. I sh- I'll, I'll say cautiously or wisely. We're really going to pay attention to who needs it. Is it the coaches who need it or the individual player that needs it? And how do we want to use it? Sure, we'll get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, we got to find the best ways to build the most powerful, dynamic version of each individual hitter. And that might look different for 15 different guys. You know, three guys may be on one program and seven may be on another and the other five are on, on a third program. So I think it's just figuring that out through uh, making sure we're individualizing what we're doing and we're, we're collecting enough information to know what each guy needs. And the end goal is going to be hard contact often. If you want it real simple, we want to hit the ball as hard as anybody more often than anyone. And mm-hmm. I think um, if you if you look at how we're going to try to train and what we're doing at practice, that, that gets fun as a hitter. And I want our guys to have fun in this process. And so if you watch batting practice, we're doing exit velocity competitions or something, you know, there, there's a clear end goal. And, uh, and I think part of that process is having a lot of fun doing it. It's fantastic. Brett, can you tackle that question? Uh, just looking at the overview of your hitting philosophy, where do you stand? What do you believe in? What do you teach? Believing in consistency, mm. believing in and being an athlete and, and staying athletic. And that's, that's different for everyone. Yeah. Uh, just like Rob just said, as long as we can start from, okay, where are you the most consistent? Where do you feel the most consistent? And then we'll just make some minor tweaks there. And then how can, okay. So to use Rob's analogy, here's that. And, Coach Heefner's analogy, here's that engine and it's running smoothly and it always turns on when we want. Okay, now let's lift up the hood and see how we can improve that engine. Yeah. Let's see how we can get into the the ground a little bit more for some players or making sure that their load is a little bit more consistent, whatever it can be, because as we all know, it's not cookie cutter, but the philosophy for me and when how we teach and how what we believe in is you start with consistency no matter where you are and then we're going to build it up and build it up and build it up Hmm. depending on the work that you want to put in all that good stuff i mean it is it is very player driven uh and you as a coach you your job is to drive those players once we get there and we can kind of start going from one side or the other from consistency to mental strength to vision to all of that good stuff uh we can't get to those steps until we know what's going on from swing to swing 
so the word consistency, could you interchange that with repeatability? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, you're buying into that too? Yeah, no question. I think that's like certainly a target, you know, I think when guys, when they can, when they're, when their swings repeatable, then we actually have something to build off of. And I think that's exactly what Brett said. And I think that's exactly what we're looking for. And, and anything we can use any drill that can expose it to help us make sure that, that we found that place of consistency. And we really know we got, like I said, a foundation and a place to, to grow from. And, and I think when the players see that and feel it, I mean, they start, the level of excitement just increases exponentially when guys are start to become aware of what they're doing when they're doing it right and they can repeat it. Um, and then you start talking about building on it. You just see the level of buy-in, the level of excitement in terms of guys, you know, wanting to get involved in their growth as a hitter. It's unreal. Um, and and I think it's a hard thing to do as a coach, but you know, the more we're aware of it, I think you, you, you start to see that consistency become a more regular thing in in the players you work with. That's right. Okay, look, there's some finer details inside of this, and so Brett assessing players, and that's something that's certainly on your on your uh, to do sheet every day when you're working with hitters. But there's also core movements, uh, things that you know elite level swingers do, and so all that again probably more for probably more for Rob in terms of the overall building of his offense, but you on a more specific basis as we move these both movements and assessments towards individual development plans, because that's what we're trying to do is make these individual hitters better. Where do you stand on all that? What, what are you looking for? The first thing I want to, I want to look at is do we get that proverbial stretch? Okay. Are we, are we setting ourselves up from, and, and how this is, this is a, this is a Brett, a Brett definition <laughs> of stretch, but making sure that, Hey, we are, getting our lower half and our upper half a good stretch and a good torque. Mm-hmm. So once we see that pitch that we like, we're in a good position to get going. That's where that starts mm-hmm. is, is that, is that quality stretch that we create from that, that hip to kind of that shoulder area. At least that's how I feel it. Um, even though I don't swing in, anymore, but uh, everybody kind of feels it differently. So that's, that's a core movement that we absolutely need. And then make sure that we use our big muscles to move instead of relying on our upper body and our hands and our arms. Okay. Our hands and our arms are so inconsistent, man. I mean, they're so good. They're, their hand-eye coordination is so good. But from a longevity and from a all of a sudden you see 95, we can't have that sort of variability happen. So being able to track that and understand that and having that core movement of, Hey, our big muscles are going to start our swing. And then as we see that, and as we see that pitch coming in, boom, okay, now we can adjust with our posture and not with our hands, not with our wrists, because there's too much variability, man. I'm, I'm going to start using that word a ton here coming up, but the more variables we can take out, the better we're going to be. And those are two just core core things maybe three core core things that are are absolutes and are needed to be tested developed retested developed again and away we go shifting to rob rob same idea again assessing your players you're you're moving towards those development plans for each guy you got four years to try to get that done a lot of a lot of instances but what are the core movements as well kind of open up uh, really the more the details of exactly what's happening uh with you and those hitters yeah, I uh, I feel like Brett and I are going to be kind of uh, bouncing some ideas off each other today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, looking at the swing and I, th I think a lot of similar ways. I think over time I really, I've learned to value the importance of just rotating efficiently and having guys be in sequence, like firing, uh, at the right time. And, and I think he, I think he said, you know, swinging, starting to swing with our big muscles. I think, you know, we, we've, this is the first year of my program. We started this, but you know, I, I think every program I've ever been a part of, we do like daily drills and defense, right? Your lead ups, uh, whatever mm -hmm. that is, mm -hmm. your short, your picks. And I'm like, hit this point talking with my coaching staff and we're it was one of our assistants brought the idea up. he just said hey how come we don't do offensive dailies and I thought man we're so bought in on this idea of teaching powerful explosive sequence rotation and yet we don't do anything to prep the body you know other than drills that we're doing during our offensive rotations but anything to prep it leading into this just kind of isolating some of these movements and so wow. we really started to kind of go down that path this year and it's been it's pretty eye-opening for our guys it just put them in situations where we're not having to hit a baseball, but we're doing some of these PVC drills or rotational drills, or even just throwing med balls against the wall and getting into the ground a little bit and learning how to have a little bit better ground angle and generate a little more force. But we're kind of doing that consistently. And I think that's a way that we're able to not only just evaluate these core movements, but to really start to build off of them, to have the drills, most of which that I've gained from other guys over the years, but have those drills kind of be like building blocks for um, for that engine that we're trying to that we're trying to really uh, ramp up, and so you know we use some different things when we're when we're assessing that you know exit velocity on a regular basis as much as we can because anytime we put numbers on things, guys get competitive, and I think it brings sometimes it brings the best things out, sometimes it exposes some of the trouble areas, and that those are all good things in a practice setting because it can help figure out kind of a roadmap to where we need to go. Um, but we we use blast motion in our program. We started using it this spring and. Um, that's been a, a really, um, just a great tool for us to evaluate some other metrics that you can't really see with the naked eye. Like you kind of get a guess, but, um, that's where we've grown to love some of the technology that's available. Um, it's just helping us see things we can't see. We think we can see, but it tests our ideas. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it proves us wrong and that's, that's not a bad thing either. But, uh, we also get like Kaiser rotational, uh, Kaiser machines are like, uh, in the weight room, you know, they're air compressed pulleys and we'll do rotational uh, movements like wood chops on those and just record power out to see how we're rotating. We'll look at that. We'll track it. We track it over four years uh, from both sides, the right and the left side, even if it's not a switch hitter, just to see how do we rotate? How much force can we generate? It's a simple way to do it. That was the first thing I fundraised for in our <laughs> fitness center because... <laughs> You know, we're a small school. We don't have a huge budget, but you got to figure out what what's going to give you something you can measure over over time to know if you're actually developing the things that you're trying to develop. Wow. And uh, and then we just use a lot of a lot of video, slow motion video evaluation. And I, I keep a lot of that to our coaches, and we 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 pick and choose when we want to share with players. But that's just for us again to to for the, to evaluate those core movements. Are we doing it right? Are we in sequence the way we think we we say we are? Are we are we building what we really think we're building? And that, that that's kind of how we go about it. Just a quick follow-up. When you are talking about video, and that's been a, certainly more coaches, especially as, as the, the phones have gotten better, more coaches yep. having the capability to be right there, take video and use it. When is your kind of your line in the sand for that player that, you know what, we don't need to show him any video, but what's your moment when it's like, you know what, this is the time where we need to cross that line and get him in front of the screen. What, what is that for us? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a, a very... Uh, kind of a tricky line to yeah. navigate you yeah. know uh every guy every guy's got a little bit different personality and they evaluate information differently so i think we start with 
I mean, I, I'll do like evaluate self-evaluation questionnaires and things like that or conversations early in the season where I, I try to have guys self-assess that a little bit to tell me whether they think it's good for them or not. And then I watch how they use it. And then I try to make my own assessment. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's where that line is. You know, I'm very cautious of saying like, hey, you know, th this is the time. There are times when I'll break the video off on the iPad out right there on the field out of the cage. Yeah. Um, hey, take a look at this. Like, but a lot of times I'd say that's when you're in a kind of an exploratory phase, like we're going to try to elevate your hands a little bit in your setup or, hey, we, we want to mess with the leg kick a little bit and let's see what that does um, to your center of balance when your foot gets down. Well, all right, maybe, you know, when you give the player some freedom to fail, I think they're more, they're more, they're in a better place to use that technology or that video quicker. But, you know, if you're in the middle of, hey, we're getting ready for this guy on, on Friday and he's 93 and with a lot of cut and he's got a really good change up, I'm not sure that that's the best time to start dropping video on a guy's mechanics. And so, uh, you know, that's where drawing that line. I mean, I wish I had a better answer for you, Sheets, but I would say that, uh, I would, I would certainly say that um, uh, it's about knowing the individual guy. And most yeah. of the time, what I like to do, if I'm not sure at all, I'm going to wait. And I think a good practice is just get with your coaching staff. Mm -hmm. I don't care how long those, I don't care what level you coach at. I don't care how long those guys have been coaching. You know, other people have good ideas. And so if, you're, if there's ever even an ounce of doubt, I say hold off, get together with your staff, talk through what you think you see and what you think you want to talk to an athlete about, and then, you know, bounce that off those guys. and then devise a plan and then bring it to the kid. And, and I think, like you said, now with, with phones, iPads, all those things, it's so much easier to do it. You know, you, so you can, you can text the kid the video that night with a little breakdown or call them or whatever. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, we use it, but we're constantly trying to figure out how to use it the right way. That's it. Well, it comes back to feel. I think that's the, the yeah. biggest word there. And I, I kind of put you on the spot, but I thought it's an interesting, uh, dynamic because that kind of leads into this when you do see a deficiency in a swing and rob this will be an interesting dynamic you name like a, a few different deficiencies that maybe are more repeatable that you see that come up quite often how do you approach making adjustments and i know that's such a broad question it's probably relative yep. to each guy but the cues that are inside the language i think it'll help define for our listener the way that you talk with your hitters open that up I'd say the first thing is make sure there's a real problem. I think sometimes what we, you know, I look at myself as a coach 10, 12 years ago and, um, you know, I might've saw something that I thought to my naked eye was a deficiency in the swing, but there wasn't a real problem. And I'm just trying to teach mechanics because I think it's supposed to look a different way. So be cautious there from there, you know, um, uh, if the deficiency is causing issues, then I think you got to focus on really narrowing it down. I don't think, if we're teaching things effectively, you're not going to be able to get across 15 concepts to a hitter when they come out of a cage. So um, I'll, I'll just give you maybe one quick example. So if a guy is, if, if his hands are completely leading the swing, he's not getting anything out of his lower half or, or he's totally out of sequence, right? Um, he just throws his hands at the ball and, uh, and he's not rotating. He's not starting the swing from the ground up. Um, and that, that's a problem that I'd say I see pretty often kids, don't want to strike out when they're young. And so they just figure out how to get their hands to the ball, but they're not really maximizing what they can do with their lower half. We're going to just isolate and break down some different drills. So we'll start with throwing a, a do a partner pass med ball toss. We're going to throw a heavy med ball uh, towards their back hip and make them leg lift and catch it. Um, and when they're catching it, it's that med ball is going to pull their hands back and they're going to start rotating. We tell them we want to throw it as hard as they can into that brick wall. 
their their lower half's going to rotate before their hands even can go forward. And they start to get the feel of uh, rotating with 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 their hands kind of being the last thing to go. Yeah. It's a sim- simple drill, but it's it's one way that we'll uh, we'll start to do that. And then we'll do some isolated drills in the cage where we're where we're doing um, we call it a change up drill where we'll 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 do just a straight soft toss and we'll we'll arm fake one and they got a stride and basically like fastball timing and mm. keep their hands back. And then we'll and then we'll go again second time and flip it and they hit from that position where they're kind of out on their front foot but just making sure holding them accountable to keeping their hands back and then teaching them that now try to hit this ball out to your pull side gap well all right I can actually rotate kind of effectively from this position and then we just work backwards you know we just again we go we we kind of go to the beginning of it we see what the deficiency is we figure out some simple things some situations to put them in that might help them feel what it, what it's like to do it right and then start to build off of it. And hopefully we can see it start to take shape in a live setting. Fantastic. Brad, jump on that question, buddy. Deficiency in the swings, how are you approaching it? But also offer some cues that you, you tend to hear a lot inside your training sessions. We like to do, We like to really talk about the environment that the athlete's hitting in once we, once we see that deficiency, right? Okay, so what environment can we put them in? to make them feel the most comfortable and feel like we're not all of a sudden going to turn them into a lab rat Mm -hmm. to where it becomes really difficult. Um, the task of, okay, here's what I'm going to tell the player of what we're going to do of, okay. Uh, we're going to do med ball tosses and the reason, and all I need you to focus on is it coming from your back hip, having you use both hands, not pushing that, med ball but using your core to really get that flexion going and that strength going and make sure that it hits right up the top of the wall like you're hitting a line drive over the shortstop or second baseman's head Mm -hmm. and then different constraints okay now it's not now i might put a band on you to give you a little bit of resistance try you out a little bit and make sure that something's happening from that standpoint so that we can react a little bit easier and then that's kind of where we start from there. It's let's, let's turn up the vault. Let's turn up the speed. Let's get it to game speed. And I want to be able to, to understand and track what's going on because not all drills work for every player. Mm-hmm. And the sooner that we can understand that a drill works or doesn't work for a player, then the faster that we can kind of get going and have those drills that work, be a part of their routine. And if they don't work, Hey, that, that's cool. We're going to get another one for you here tomorrow. That's going to, that's going to get you going and get that process started on an upward slope. Love it. Okay. This is going to be a little bit tougher, but I think Brett relating it to what you do, let's get into group offense versus the individual training side of things. And you know, your group offense could certainly be a conversation you're having with a coach uh, who's implementing your technology and you're, and you're kind of walking them through some ideas or you go back to those days again, coaching those 12 year olds, but when you're looking at group versus individual training. How do you approach both, and, and then how do you blend them both to where even inside of the group you're still having individuality? Yeah, good question. Uh, for for us at Blast, this is where I really kind of learned the difference because growing up, I only did individual training. I, I never got in a group setting unless it was practice. So I, I was kind of in a unique scenario there. It, it was really interesting on that standpoint. But once once kind of I got into Blast and I started to learn, okay we want to break it down into three core pillars, how on plane you are, how well connected you are through the swing and how well you can rotate, how well sequence, how well can you sequence? Once we break it down there then we can break down our hitters a lot easier 
to, okay, hey, maybe we have some guys who are, have a tough time getting on plane. They can all work together as a group. We right. all have a goal on what's going to happen and what we need to execute to get them better. Yep. Then it's it's that camaraderie, it's that teamwork, it's that it's that competitiveness that we get. And then you once you break them into those three sections, it's easier to coach too because they're not as they're not all together and they're not all doing the same thing. And we can really understand, okay, this drill for playing, did it work or did it not work, like I mentioned earlier? And how can we make this thing better? But breaking them down into that, that standpoint is, uh, is really, really interesting. But blending them into both and how we can make that into practice is it's got to be a priority for us. Mm-hmm. So many times we, we get out on the field and, uh, gosh, I, I was spoiled to, to be out on the field all the time growing up in San Diego. But for some other guys, it, it might not be the case. So, but maintain your structure and maintain what you're doing day in and day out. It doesn't matter if you're in the cages on the field or in between. We need to have that process to set us up for success so then we can start going on that upward slope like I mentioned. Wow. Okay, let's see how Rob handles this. Rob, talking group to individual and then blending them both in the middle. What do you do with the Warriors? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the most challenging things to do as a coach. I, th- I think uh, if, you, if you've, for guys who've had the chance to go out to conventions, you know, that's probably, we all go there hungry for that. Like, how do you get the most out of a practice, right? Sure. Um, how do you, how do you build better individual players while getting your team what they need in this small mm-hmm. block of time? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I would say that that's an ongoing target, but I mean, we're, that's one of my favorite things about coaching. I think you got to be creative and you really have to think outside the box. And over the years, you can watch, um, how guys have done that and really paved the way where, you know, there was a time when people only hit batting practice in one spot on a field. And now there's at least three or four stations going on during every college batting sure. practice. Um, for us, I think, you know, how do we approach the the group offense versus the individual? The group stuff really is, it ties back to what do we believe are, what are the core movements that matter? So we just covered that. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so then how do we put things in place that we think everybody needs? Cause if those are core movements and they're important in the swing, like sequencing and rotation, rotating properly. All right, well, then what can we do? So we, we implement things now like our offensive daily drills that there's about five or six things that our guys can get through in about 10 minutes. But just it's just a way to, to set the tone for what we're trying to accomplish. And then, um, and then some drills that make everyone, I call them drills that make everyone better, like hitting plyo balls off tees. Uh, I think there's a lot of work you can accomplish there. Um, and you can individualize while everybody's still doing the same drill, right? Mm. Um, machine, machine work. We spent a lot of time on machines more, more in the last few years than ever. Um, but I think that's good for everybody. Um, give or take maybe a few people really struggle with just timing things on machines, but, um, I think you can get your guys there and I think machines help everybody. So I think that's another group thing that we'll, we'll spend a lot of time with. And then our, our overload, underload, long, short bats. I've got everybody doing that because I think it helps uh, in a number of ways. And, and we like to say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's one way that even though I think it helps develop bat speed, it also helps guys just get comfortable finding their barrel, even when it feels uncomfortable. So those are things that we'll do as a group, right? Where everyone's assigned their stations, where we've got guys assigned all those things. Um, but then uh, to individualize, it's really, if you take back everything we've talked about so far and just breaking down guys individually and figuring out a plan for each guy, we'll have stations in practice that are dedicated to personal hitting plan. So 
whether it's one of our cages and in that station, I'm telling the, the guys, hey, that's self-led drills today, meaning, hey, you know, you know, the two or three things that we've found over the course of the fall that really help you get where you need to be as a hitter. You have the autonomy to go in there and tell the person who's flipping or throwing, this is what I'm working on. And then we'll even do that out on the field sometimes. I think especially new players in our program, they look at me sometimes like, they think I'm crazy when I say, you tell me what you're going to do right now. But, you know, I mean, it, it engages them in that development process that I talked about earlier. Yeah. And, uh, and and it tells me where their mind's at, right? As a coach, when you're trying to get 35 guys to go win at a high level and to be ready and to make adjustments in the box, you know, you, you should have an idea. I shouldn't have to micromanage every second of your day for you to know what you're working on. I hope that I've taught you enough that you're thinking about it too and, and almost trying to be one step ahead of me and say, you know, I hope we're going to do this today because I think that's really going to help me. Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're getting there, we're getting guys that are really growing as players and, and I think are going to be able to make the, the quickest adjustments in game and be able to sustain sustain success over a long period of time. So, yeah, it's really just setting out, hey, here's your individual plan. These are the drills that work for you. This is what your mindset is. I'm going to have you take that approach into this. Or you got self-led um, uh, drill sets in cages or on the field where one guy's going to tell me I'm working middle in right now. Another guy's working only middle away or we're working on breaking balls and and, uh, and we know what the plan is and we go for it. I love it. A couple things jump off there. One is, and I was laughing because there's a, uh, a great video that came out, I think, I believe over the weekend, Josh Donaldson, and he's basically saying relative to working on timing, he didn't like machine work. He wanted more arm or flip. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet. And I feel yeah. like there's a lot of coaches that saw that and instantly sold all their ATEC machines and got rid of them. And <laughs> it's like, I mean, but again, relative to that, yes, it will, we'll have to work on timing, but it's the, the ability to create pitches and uh, practice design and pitch design and bring that into our offensive training. So that I thought that was funny. Um, the one other point I want to make is this, and, I, and Brett, you made reference to this and Rob, I'm interested if you do this and this has come up on some of our past episodes, I'm thinking, uh, you know, we had episode 67 with Todd Williams from UK and CJ Gilman from Air Force. I think 76 was Matt Braga when he was at Tennessee Tech and Tom Eller at Hartford is now with the Orioles. A lot of different offensive conversations. And, and throughout the course of those, one really key point, and I literally just talked with a with a college coach about this over the weekend, was we were looking at his offensive BP and he was saying, man, there's just some things I want to change up. And I go, well, how are you setting your groups? And this is totally like, Rob, you mentioned earlier, stolen from another coach. You know, no original ideas here. So stolen yep. from somebody. And to Brett's point, he was kind of laying it all out. I go, well, man, you might think about this. Group players together as to what they're working on or who they are as hitters. So in essence, if you've got your your BP groups, make sure your leadoff kid, probably your two-hole, and your eight or your nine, they're in the same BP group because they're probably generally the same type player, depending on your offense. They're going to look the same. Your three, your four, your five, your six maybe – those dudes are kind of be the ones you want your doubles and home runs out of. And again, if you group them together, now they're all looking at, uh, you know, obviously working on their swings. They're looking back at the dude behind them, seeing a very similar swing and result. They're also hearing the coach on the turtle behind the L screen using the same language, making the same cues and grouping your offense that way. Or another variability out of this would be these group of guys. They're really struggling with fastball in so again, from the BP perspective, we're going to give them all fastballs on the inner half, and that's what this group, through their four rounds of five, whatever it might be, that's what they're working on. This group's really struggling with breaking balls. These four hitters need more work on breaking balls. Let's bring out the machine, set up for group three, 
We're going to give them a breaking ball, and that's what these guys are going to work for. Giving yourself as a coach maybe the freedom to create that variability, but more than that, that specific individual training inside a batting practice. Rob, do you do anything like that? Yeah, I, I love the idea, and uh, I probably could even do an even better job at it. What I try to do is <laughs> love it. I put, I put guys at uh, I try to put them in groups with with similar type hitters, um, yeah. and so I've been I've never grouped them by the, their deficiency or the thing that I think they need to work on, but more around the type of hitter that they that I think they are because okay. you know I had a player come up to me a couple of years ago and the heat of the battle in the middle of the fall trying to win a job and he was an outfielder and he looked at me in the office and he just said coach you know I don't I don't know that I'm the type of hitter that that you like um I don't know that mm. I'm gonna I don't know that I'm gonna win my what do I need to do like these guys are are all you know in BP they're hitting balls over the scoreboard and I'm hitting ground balls in the you know five six hole and I'm sure. like dude you run you run a six five like I don't need you to do that. There's but a place it, for you. It was an eye-opening moment for me as a coach to remember that the, you're absolutely right. These guys are looking at each other, and then that's the the Measuring barometer stick. they're using yeah. to measure who they are as a player. Yeah. And so if I'm not either explaining that to them in conversations regularly or putting them around people that have similar goals, they can easily get sidetracked without us knowing as that's a it. coach. That's and, it. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's – that's really important. And then it also, they start to get fueled by the guys around them. that are like you said, that are really trying to accomplish the same things. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm a guy that is a runner that I'm not trying to drive as many runs in, like they're going to hold each other accountable to different goals than a guy that I need to drive the ball in the gaps. And, uh, and so I love the idea of it. I think it, 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 it enhances the training environment and, and probably helps guys, uh, feed off of each other a little bit. No doubt. I'll even add one more. And Brad, I want to hear from you if there's anything else to add to this, but you know, you've got the starting center fielder and you've got the backup center fielder. They should hit in the same BP group. Now, relative to exactly what you're going to want out of them offensively, but dude, there's your inside competition. They don't even realize it. But now I get to watch both you side by side, literally four pitches to four pitches, and I'll know exactly who's obviously who's progressing and who's not walking into that challenge and, and really taking it by the horn. Same thing with the first baseman and the backup first baseman. Like, dude, I, I, I want to see if you're going to show him up, man. You see what he's doing. He, like you said, relative to those guys, man, he's hitting two or three out of the park. Can you do something, again, relative to your swing and your skill set? Uh, Brett, anything to add to all that? Yeah, something something small that, that I found that was really, really interesting and kind of drove that was whenever athletes hear, oh, you can't do that or, oh, you shouldn't do that, they try 100 times harder to prove you wrong. <laughs> sure. So instead of telling the second baseman, hey – stop trying to hit home runs it's hey man what are you trying to accomplish oh i want to hit second i want to hit 300 i want to steal 20 bags okay is that getting you to that result hmm. is hitting that home run but hitting 240 because most of the balls that you think are out are getting caught at the warning track going to help you with what you want yeah yes no maybe okay now we can have a now we can have a straightforward conversation instead of oh man you can't do that and then all of a sudden the leg kicks gets a little higher the 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 finish gets a little bit swaggier you know and all that stuff that that's fun and and great and what makes baseball so awesome but when we're trying to get our guys dialed in for when the lights turn on at seven o'clock or five o'clock or three thirty or whenever your your game is. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that their mindset reiterates their training That's and it. vice versa. 
This seems like a silly question to ask Brett, but we're going to go into technology. <laughs> so, but, but again, man, you're, you're the most foremost authority on it, you know, between, uh, you mentioned Taylor between Justin and Kyle and, and the entire crew over there. Uh, I can't get off here without giving a nod to the, the godmother herself, uh, Megan Miller, but, uh, technology's presence in hitting development. And it's definitely apparent and, and more guys are becoming accepting of it. And instead of using it as a way that, I think uh, maybe even a couple years ago, coaches felt like it was going to take their job. Guys are bringing it closer and embracing it and figuring out how, man, this can actually enhance my job and make me a better hitting coach. So uh, relative to your experience in that, how have you been able to, with with your groups and your players and those organizations, implement this into training? And then I think for coaches listening to this, what competitions have you found from your clients? And then more than that, too, what we all are searching for as coaches, how have they been able to build accountability within their hitters? What do you got? Man, it, it's so interesting. When when Blast first reached out, I, I was like, what? Something on the end of a bat? That <laughs> That's that's not baseball. That's yeah. strange. And then then you dive into it and... Gosh, once once you do embrace that it's a tool to help validate and verify what's going on for that player, you give yourself that, ah, okay, all right, it's not going to take my job. It's mm-hmm. not going to do the things that I think it's going to do. Uh, so that's a huge, huge, huge point. I think for how I've embraced it is right along those lines. It is something that I am going to use to help benefit my players and to help understand their swings better. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to use the ABCA. I'm going to use the network of coaches that I have to say, okay, here are my players deficiencies. How, how can I get them better? How can I be transparent and honest and say, I can't get to all these guys. What, what can I do? And it, it gives us a much clearer thought of what's going on from player to player instead of, just lumping them all in one through nine or one through 15 or how many, how many hitters that you have. So being able to do that is, is incredible and being able to formulate a plan and having that plan again, be validated by something like blast is, is extremely beneficial. And then for kind of the competitions and stuff, uh, gosh, swinging hard is fun. Swinging with authority is sweet. We don't want to just fillet some things. I mean, two strikes, you got to do what you got to do. But having those sort of competitions of, okay, let's see who can get it going a little bit. Let's see who can be the most consistent with their direction. Uh, and then post those numbers in the dugout. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the guys that I talk to are very much bulletin board material for this sort of stuff because it drives you. I remember when I was in school and shoot my freshman year fall, I was, I was at the bottom of the depth chart and that drove me every single day to do that. Now, if I can add why I'm at the bottom of the depth chart, depth chart, instead of just, Hey, here's where you are. Yes. That gives, that gives that player so much more authority to get some stuff done on their end. It, 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 it empowers them to get that stuff done. So having those sort of competitions and that ranking system and that, that transparency of, Hey, here's where you are. Here's where we would, we think that you can get to. We know we, we can get you to and here's how it can be. And then the accountability side, man, I was just over at a, at a school in Colorado 
he's a high school coach and he said it perfectly. He said, I have 45 guys that I, that are in my program. Mm -hmm. I cannot see all 45 guys swing at the same time. I'm lying to myself if I think, and I believe that I can see everybody swing and truly make a difference. Yeah. So being able to one show that you can go back and see all those players after and see that information and make those tweaks and have those conversations, send them texts, get that personal relationship just more and more solidified. Mm -hmm. And also giving the opportunity to, Hey, yeah, our guys swing 200 times a day. Oh really? Let's see how many times they actually swing. They might be 300, but it also might be 50 for some guys. Mm -hmm. And then you can have that conversation with them instead of just kind of saying, Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't care or he doesn't want to be there or any of those things that kind of creep into people's heads. Cause that's human nature. That is all helped and assisted by something like blaster by technology of, of, Hey, true objective information. And let's see what plan we can build around it. You seem like the authority to open this up. And again, in all fairness, I mean, the ones that I'm aware of, you've got diamond kinetics, obviously rap Soto's doing stuff from the, hitting it as well, you know, K-Vest is something that's been brought up. Are there any that I'm missing, and what other technologies are there out there for coaches paying attention? You nailed a bunch of them. Uh, there's there's the hit tracks that's that's solid. Absolutely, for, yep. Yeah, for, for some guys as well, uh, flight scope, all of those. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those technologies are, are really just kind of validating and supporting the, the teaching of these great coaches yep. and giving that opportunity. It's funny because all of a sudden we get somebody new who's trying to use some technology and they say, oh, how, how should I form my practice? Well, how have you been doing it for the last 10 years, my man? I mean, you're, you're, you're here now and I'm, I'm humbled that you asked me this sort of thing, but I want to be in your world. Yes. I, I want this thing to be a part of what you do oh. and give you that opportunity. Uh, so I, uh, you nailed you nailed the majority of them. I know there's some up and coming ones uh, that that are solid, but uh, that that ability throughout is is really really critical. It's outstanding. We'll make sure we show show everyone some love throughout this. Well, now, Rob, you you mentioned that again. You do implement technology, and it has been uh, an integral piece of developing your hitter. So, how have you been able to embrace it? Certainly, how different was it coming from not using it to now embracing it? And then how does it work inside of what you guys do? And do you do competitions and holding your guys accountable in terms of development, rankings, all those things, evaluations, break that down. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot to break down there and it's all good stuff. You know, um, I've kind of taken the stance that um, it has taken me a long time to get here. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, when you can measure things and get objective feedback, I think you open up the possibility of proving, being proven wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I can finally say, I think that's a good thing. You know, I, I resisted a lot of it for a long time because I, I knew that there was the chance that something I might've said or thought or taught would, would have, would have been proven wrong. And I think when I got past that, it just allowed for so many more things to happen in our program. And, and so now, I also work at a small college, so it's not like, you know, I've got the money that I can do all this stuff right away. So yeah. may, maybe the, the time when I bought into the to what I have now, you know, it's been a little bit of a, a, of a slow and steady path of implementing things over time. But we've actually, you know, uh, I think been able to incorporate quite a few things. So so we've we do we use a lot of like exit velocity measurements and different drills just to um, we've just found that it just when you when you incorporate exit velocity in an offensive station 
um, and there's a visible number, uh, it, it does two things. I think it enhances intent. And if we can get more out of a guy in a short window of time, I think that's a win. And then it also, um, oddly enough, I found this, I've talked to a lot of coaches about this over the years. As soon as we started measuring exit velocity and making it visible, um, it, it's unbelievable how, from my perspective, how it has changed the guy's ability to improve pitch recognition. Because what happens is they just, I call it going in an auto swing. You know, you get guys that come in the cage and it doesn't matter where you throw it, you know they're going to swing. Um, as soon as you start to put some sort of a metric on it that they have some control over, they choose whether or not they swing, right? So mm-hmm. um, when they can see that, all of a sudden that pitch that's that's running off the, the outer black of the plate, we're not hitting a, a weak end of the bat ground ball just to get through our round because we're just being robots. We're actually we're locked in and we're finding a way to swing at better at better pitches. And so I've, I really found that to be a nice kind of uh, a side effect of that, that I never even anticipated, but you know, we're uh, uh, we started using blast motion in our program this spring. Um, I had a couple of players actually come back from the summer. One who went up to driveline and was training with Jason Ochart, talked to him a lot about um, some of the technology they were using. You know, they were, they were doing some things with KVS and some other stuff that we haven't had a chance to use yet. Um, but my player really felt like he got a lot out of using the blast motion up there. And so this fall, I just talked to him about it a lot. Then I talked to the guys at blast. I saw it, uh, at convention and I finally decided this would be good for our team. And I think it really has helped us do a couple of things. Um, um, Brett was talking about breaking down like printouts on the board. Uh, It's unreal. The amount of stuff we can print out and just show guys, Hey, this is how you stack up against every guy in our offense right now in these multiple different areas. Um, and so, hey, you might. So it doesn't. It doesn't even have to be as 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 harsh as you're the bottom of the depth chart. Like, yeah, you may be the worst guy in in generating any kind of rotational force, but your on plane efficiency is the best. You know, like, so you can actually build a guy up a little bit and still show him where he needs to get better. I think uh, we've been able to use that and um, starting to really. I mean, we're we're still in like trial phase, and we're mm-hmm. we're we're starting to do a bunch of the video uploading and and uh and doing some video overlay there's so much you can do there i mean it's like you know it takes work as a coach but it's our players absolutely love it and uh and so we're just figuring out how to to use that kind of on a daily basis but that's something that um we've got charging stations in our dugout like our guys are bought in and they love it um and it's giving them a bunch of feedback regularly and then you know we actually mentioned rap soto we don't have the rap soto hitting technology but we do have the pitching rap soto sure and uh I try to get a little creative with that. And I think, you know, I'll just share an idea with some coaches out there. If you have a rap Soto, one thing we try to do is like, what's the best fastball, you know, cutter, two seam slider that we see, take those metrics and then set your rap Soto up in that same spot and put the pitching machine on the mound and then figure out how to get the same spin and the same trajectory off of a, uh, how you set your wheels on your machines. There it is. So that you're actually getting a real game, like fastball, real game, like slider. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just a, a small way we try to be creative with the technology, right? So, so I took the pitching rap soto and try to use it to help our our uh, our hitters. And so you create, you know, you create like a little template, and you got it for your coaches. If we want this guy's slider, you know, take our closer, say we want his slider, we're gonna hit that today. Yeah. But we know what that should, what those wheels, how they need to be dialed up. So that's another way we've used it. And then we use for competitions, you know. Um, uh, we, uh, bl- one other thing blast has done for us, it just tracks swing counts. So, mm. you know, I'm like, Hey, how come this guy's got like 300 more swings than that guy? Uh, <laughs> like he's going and putting in some extra work. Sure. Uh, 
but it's it, that's that's one way when those guys see that all posted up uh, on the board. It's it's a real interesting uh, it, way to just keep guys just pushing each other, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. And we do exit velocity leaders and some competitions and things like that. And then and then we've just done one other thing that um, a total different way of using technology is we've just asked. There's so much video available. So we've asked our guys to find major league, we call them MLB comps or a comparison, somebody that mm. they think their swing is most like mm. and uh, and try to find kind of a library video for them to be able to kind of just look at and next to their swing and, and it's something to look at. So you're you're kind of looking at the things that guy does well and trying to emulate them. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. So those are some simple ways we use it. I'm sure there will be others and down the road, but um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get as much feedback as we can on a regular basis. Run this right back to you, Rob, the variability in your training because you got into a lot of that in the cages there at UCLA, but the yep. dynamics that you use to push your players, and I know the weighted bats are a good way for you to do that. You obviously use different bats, the machines, kind of open all that up. Before we get to drills, open that up. Yeah, I think, I mean, a simple way I'd put it is we, we use everything we can get our hands on. I mm-hmm. think, uh, I mean, we go back to that, that concept of we want our guys to be, to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think yeah. uh, I spent a lot of time as a hitting coach early on just wanting to, like, protect their hitting environment, right? I wanted them to feel good every day. And, uh, and that kept them in one place and we never moved, you know, we might've had some really good players. And so we won some games, but, um, um, but I wasn't helping guys get from A to B. And so, um, I think that's where variability comes in and it's key. And, uh, and you start to see how we can develop better bat speed. Um, and, and we can rotate better. We can do a lot of things that all of a sudden you turn a guy who is a singles guy into a guy that's leading your team in home runs. And just by, just by changing his training environment, helping him figure out how his body works. Um, and I think that you couldn't come to one of our practice and not find something like this going on, whether it's, you know, a um, double machine stacked up in the cage where you got a fastball and a slider and you don't know what's coming out um, to light flight machines. I got this from, I think, uh, Jack Martyrs, assistant up at Stanford. I was working their camp this summer and they have these little light flight machines. I'd never seen them before. And they had guys doing one hand drills. And I thought, man, we just do straight toss. Like this is way harder and it's a great drill. And, uh, and it really kind of manipulates the environment a little bit to force a guy to really get their body in the right position if they're going to have a chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so I went home literally right after camp. I mean, and like I said earlier, I steal stuff from everybody, but I bought three light flight machines and our guys make fun of me. We use them all the time, but, uh, but, uh, they're affordable and, you know, we do so much one hand stuff with those, uh, any, and, and regular, uh, swing stuff, breaking balls, left and right handed breaking balls and fastballs, um, tons of weighted ball, uh, options. So I think I mentioned this in the barnstormer, but. You know, you can use a semi-deflated basketball or volleyball, football. We get hitting plyos from driveline, um, and those things help with a number of things. So, so you know, uh, those are one thing. And then core velocity belts are something we started using a year ago. And uh, absolutely, uh, I mean, you hear about a lot with pitching, but on the hitting side, it's been fun. Uh, our guys, like we talked about teaching feel or letting guys actually find feel on their own. Those things are unreal for that. And uh and have really been a useful tool. So we mix it up quite a bit. And I don't, I like to think I'm not like a gimmick guy. I just want to, I, I look at everything as more like a competition. Like, Hey, I'm going to put this thing in your way. Now hit a ball off the batter's eye for me. Right. So yes. simplify the mindset, but change everything around them to, to just figure out how to get the job done. And I think, I think that's sort of the, if you really break it down to its core, that's really what we're trying to do. Oh, that's fantastic. Brett, anything to add to that? Just variability that, that maybe you see or use that, 
really kind of can find a different way to help uh, hitters figure something out? Shoot, that was nails. I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that, that's what it looks like right there. Uh, the only other thing that I would add, and, and, and Rob basically said this, but everything, no matter what training dynamic that you change, you make sure that it's a game-like setting from a competition standpoint, from a full speed standpoint, you make sure that they are preparing in that sort of environment. That's going to get them ready for when, uh, when those lines are all drawn up and everybody's singing and everybody's having a good time, but you're, you guys are raking. So that's the most important thing from a training standpoint is the variability yet always make it game. Like no more middle, middle fastballs to make Johnny feel good. Um, shoot, I liked it. I loved it, but, uh, that's, it's, it's different now. Pitchers are more advanced. Uh, they train the same way and, and that becomes a battle. How, who's going to train the most game, like the best with the most variability in their training to get them ready for, for, uh, the game. Oh man. So great. Okay. Let's go into drills. Cause I know that both of you have something to offer on this. So Brett lay out drills that, that you like your favorites or ones that you really have found that hitters move them closer to figuring their own swing out. What would you offer? The the first one, and, and it's a pretty common one nowadays, is is that PVC pipe drill. Yeah, uh, it's something that we we at Blast really like to talk about during the Barnstormers tour mm-hmm. and things along that that nature to just explain where we're coming from. But uh, it's it's great. You get a five or six foot PVC pipe. You put it across your shoulders. You make sure that it maintains there. And it's a little bit more off of your back shoulder, just where your bat would be when you're facing the plate. And your goal from just a beginner standpoint is to make sure that we have that T on there and we're getting that end of that PVC pipe to that T in a very direct fashion. Mm-hmm. Not direct where I'm cutting it and doing that, but be creating that, that ellipse buzzword, ellipse there that would help for that. So that's that's one that's absolute nails. Uh, we really really like the the forty five degree uh, kind of toss or even off the tee where the player starts at forty five degrees and from kind of where they're facing home plate and they get that stretch and that that band stretch as they kind of load up onto the back hip and make sure that they feel that and then boom they try to hit a ball over the center field fence. Mm-hmm. Um, I would talk about this for another three hours, so I will I will cut short at just a couple, but um, would love to hear what what Rob has to say, and um, I'm sure he's got a million of them as well. There it is. You just you just teed them up. Tell you, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I mean, there's a million things that we like to do, and a lot of times it's really finding out. We've talked about this the whole the whole time. Just find out what's right for each guy. But one thing that we've moved a lot farther into is just using machines pretty much every day for some facet of our offensive development. So, um, I, I know that, um, some people may not consider that a drill, but usually that's, uh, sometimes we put it on field on the game mound, but usually it's, we create a drill out of it, um, to speed it up and, and, and get them uncomfortable a little bit. But, uh, but comboing the machines has become one of my favorite things where you got fastball and slider and, and they got to be ready for one or the other or, or mm-hmm. battle with two strikes. Um, uh, overload bats on like a heavier bat on the field actually is something that we've, I really like to do. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think we're comfortable using the weighted bats in the cages on front toss, but, mm-hmm. um, I really found that, that using an overload bat on the field for regular BP, a lot of times guys, um, uh, there's a lot of things that you can gain from 
hitting heavier balls or swinging a heavier bat that just really address some sometimes some miscues in, in your swing or some deficiencies. And I, I'm a big fan of not having to over talk about it, right? So so if we can if we can address the problem and you can figure out how to solve it without us ever having to really talk through it, sometimes I see that as a win, especially kind of in the in the middle of a competition. So overload bat, I feel like really has helped guys get on plane and figure out how to get their body moving in sequence. So we'll, we'll mix that in. I, I've got a five foot six freshman who can fly but he's not the biggest strongest kid and 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 i i don't have a huge budget so i've got 34 inch you know overload bat and he's got to swing that in bp and he figures it out and, and he handles it now um you know we're three quarters of the way through the year and and uh anyhow so that's one thing we've done um another drill that if we're looking at on-field drills um we set up like flat screens throughout the field and instead of talking about kind of a mental approach to a round we're just going to say this round we're going to try to absolutely blow that screen up uh, to that part of the field and so it helps us sit on a part of the plate it helps us make sure we're getting the pitch we want making mm-hmm. sure our contact points are right and and that we're swinging with pretty high intent um so target screen practice has been really interesting you know rather than uh than tell a guy hey we're going to try to try to hit this ball we're going to sit middle away this round well like Brett said earlier, we don't want guys trying to just flay balls to the right side. We want them to try to drive the ball. And so finding different ways to create that and the way that they go about it, I felt like the targets have, it's kind of odd, but we've done it. We just move our shaggers around, yeah. you know, and, uh, and set those up. And then guys, um, they go after it. Um, and, uh, and then um, I mentioned the change up drill earlier, really like to do things like that, where we get them out into their kind of post stride position, keeping their hands back or we'll rotate early where, where our lower half is completely rotated and our hands are back. And then we flip from there and just work on, you know, having the hands be the last thing, but still being powerful from that position. Um, like to mix in the resistance bands or core velocity belts for resistance and for assistance. So they, they really enjoy it when they're, when, when they're getting the assistance. So it's pulling their hips through because they, they start to rotate like Barry Bonds, you know, they move faster and to feel what it feels like to move that fast. It's, it's eye opening. And then to work against the resistance is really, really helpful, you know, and then, and it really, I mean, I just, it's just, there's a, there's a thousand things you can find on the internet. It's about figuring out what fits your program. And over the years, I mean, in all honesty, I've just take massive notes at, at convention and, steal from guys like Ochard and Hefner and all the other guys that have have shared so much that I feel like what I do in my program is just this hodgepodge of all these other guys programs that make sense for me and my teaching style and so if nothing else I would just say be mindful of who you are as a coach find the drills out there that work for you and uh and there's resources to find them and uh and implement them but yeah those are some of our our key ones we definitely like the 45 degree we do that often um, and we use a lot of the the stuff I mentioned earlier with with weighted balls and and stuff like that. So I mean, then there's other drills that we're going to just manipulate body positions and have guys hit from there. I mean, those are things that again just teach teach the movements. But uh, a lot of st- a lot of that stuff gets done in straight toss or off a tee. That's it. Oh my gosh, that is packed with takeaways for guys. You've get both made reference to this actually throughout, especially at the front end of this about the mental side of this and making sure the mentality is right for your guys. As we all can go into the percentages of where this fits into uh, great hitters. Rob, mental prep for your hitters or things that you're doing uh, that are specific to the way that you approach guiding them or, or moving them forward with this area? Yeah, a couple things. You know, um, I'd, I'd say first and foremost, like we got to build confidence, and I think confidence comes from preparation. And so I'm in, I'm responsible for pre- preparation. Uh, one of my assistant coaches had heard from one of somebody at some point, like, 
the games are for the players practices for coaches. And I think, you know, that's where our job really comes in. I think, uh, I think is preparing them. And I think that we can help develop confidence, but then you also got to figure out what do you need to talk to the team about when it comes to mentally preparing hitters, you know, the entire group of your offense versus what do individual guys need? I've found that I've gained a lot more on the individual conversations than I, than I have with the team concept. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have an identity. You got to want to, um, kind of feed off the same things that get your, your offense fired up, but you also got to help individuals have a plan. And so um, I've just found that a lot more sit down one-on-one -on -one time away from the field is where that's going to happen. And, uh, and, and, and I found that some guys are really good at sitting on a pitch and account and other guys can't do that. And, and uh, I know that's kind of been a theme for me today, but the longer I do this, the more I realize I just got to do things different for different guys. But uh, the other thing is just get them as much info as possible. So th that's one place where I found that at times we've we've won games when I felt like I walk off the field and think, man, we're the less talented team by far. But I think there's a level of confidence that comes with just information and knowledge. So, you know, if you do your work as a staff and you get info on the opponent, and you know, you're going to face and. You, you try to set up a, a practice environment that addresses a lot of those things throughout the week. It sounds like basic stuff, but your players start to feel like, I know what I'm going to see. Nothing's going to be a surprise. I'm ready to go get this. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you know, I'm also comfortable being uncomfortable because we've, we've certainly put ourselves into those positions. So mentally, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges um, with hitting. And I think uh, it's really about, we got to have a plan. I love Steve Springer stuff. He's, he's awesome. Obviously mm -hmm. his mindset on quality at bat and it's, we really dig deep into um, just trying to control the things within our control and have tangible goals that actually we have some control over. Right. So yeah. that's for, for me, that's when we're going to talk them about the mental side. I, I constantly have to talk players backward because they start to tell me, well, this is my approach. This is my goal. And, and half of what they're thinking about has not they have no control over it. Right. So yeah, that, all of a sudden they're already failing and they haven't even started yet. Yeah. And, uh, and so if I can reshape that, it frees their mindset up a little bit to just be a competitor and then they can actually step in the box with some confidence and be ready to, to go, to go out and compete every day and, and measure things that matter, right? Not, uh, you know, batting average is not always the greatest indicator of our success. And so we just, no matter how much you, we hear it as coaches, we forget that our players aren't listening to as many podcasts as we are. They're not hearing this as often as we are. And so teaching them that I think becomes our, our, one of our most critical jobs because the mental side of hitting, we can do all this work and get them prepared. But if, if it goes sideways mentally and we don't have a plan to get them back on track, you know, we're, we're doing a disservice to our guys. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Brett, we find ourselves, you having to follow up Rob again, and, uh, I'm sorry, but, uh, if you, if you could try to find some meat on the bone for that one, mental prep for your guys, what do you got? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the only other thing that, that I would like to touch on is making sure that the guys know that it's not all on them to get the job done. Just focus on that simple task. I, I learned this from Coach Horton and Coach Ullman at the University of Oregon. You pass the baton. You, you do what you need to do and don't try to do more than, than you need to and good things will happen. Having that mental approach as well as that competitiveness and all of the outstanding stuff that Rob said can really make you mentally strong for that for those long stretches of games and get you going. And it really puts trust into your your teammates and your coaches and making sure that, hey, this is a team. This is a this is not an individual result. If you strike out, hey, that's OK. Next next guy's up. 
He'll get it done. They'll get it done. It's okay. Hey, coach tries to tries to send you from from second to home or from first first to home, and hey, you get thrown out. Hey, he trusted you. You trusted him. That's all you can ask for. Next pitch. Here we go. So having that sort of mentality makes teams closer, in my opinion, gives you a little bit more of what's going on. And from a hitting standpoint, says, okay, not every single thing is on me. Gosh, you guys are so good. Last question I got for both of you, because again, this has got so much great, just tangible information for guys. But Brett, real simple, man, we never finish a podcast without asking. Best advice you've been given. What's like that? This is relative to you, man. What's that mantra that just rings between your ears, dude? Like, what would you offer? But also other advice for any coach paying attention to this. Offer up some ideas, some advice that would send them down a better path. Uh, it starts with one of my first coaches ever, uh, my dad. He, uh, every single day, it was, hey, bud, try hard and have fun. Mm. That's it. You try hard, you have fun, you let everything else fall where it went, where it is. We still say that to each other every time we talk. Awesome. So it, it is ingrained, yeah. right? The the other one and and he is my role model, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give him another shout out is hey, live with a happy and humble heart. Once you kind of accept that and, and understand that and thrive through that, the ebbs and flows of a season of recruiting in the off season of um dealing with parents or or getting the opportunity to deal with parents. When you're living through that humble and happy heart, things things turn out better. Uh, and having having that positive mindset and that forward thinking mindset has been so powerful for me. And um, I'm still learning every single day how to do that sort of that sort of work and that sort of mental fortitude and that sort of self development. Because if I don't develop myself every single day mentally, how am I going to ask the coaches that I work with or the players that I work with? to do the same. So I need to stand up and do it first and foremost and do it every day. And, um, gosh, it's, it's, it's powerful when, when you buy into something like that. Yes, it is. That is fantastic. Rob, take us home, my man. Take us home on best advice you've been given and other advice. What do you got? I mean, we've all, I think we've all been uh, fortunate to have great coaches over the years, um, that have invested in us. And I think, and people, you know, like our families. And, and uh, so there's so much that I think has driven me along the way. But um, one thing I heard um, about 10 or 15 years ago that has stuck with me and has really changed who I've become as a coach. I heard someone say, you know, as a coach, you have to be willing to be yourself. Um, and you'll never be a good duplicate of someone else. Um, and I really, you know, um, that that's opened my eyes a lot over sure. the years. You know, we, we try to emulate the people that we played for or that we've seen on TV that we think are the best coaches. And you realize or I've come to realize that, you know, you'll lead, you'll teach, you'll coach um, your absolute best when you allow yourself to be who you are. Um, and that that doesn't always look the same. There's great coaches across the country that do it totally differently. You know, they're they're two different guys um, and, and that they're probably great because they're great at being who they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when I when I actually finally processed that, it allowed me to to start to be a little bit more comfortable doing things the way that, that really seemed right to me uh, rather than trying to be like, you know, X, Y, or Z coach. Um, you know, another thing I, I, I really believe in is that if our ego is bigger than finding truth, then we ought to probably question why we're coaching at all. You know, it's not about us. Um, it, 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 you know, we had great coaches who invested in us and who showed us a passion for this game. It's why we're, a lot of us stay in it and continue to do it. And, 
Um, then we get into coaching and it's, I've seen a lot of guys and talked to a lot of guys about this journey where we fight our ego. And, uh, and I think we got to get that out of the way and just, it's got to be about truth. It's got to be about players first. And, uh, and, and if not, then ask ourselves why we're doing it. Um, and lastly, I would just say this, this is probably my takeaway. My whole, you know, Brett mentioned the takeaways from his dad. I think as a kid, um, mine from him, my dad would just be real simple. Just don't set a high standard of work ethic and excellence or, or attention to detail, you know, for, for your players or for other people, hold yourself to that same standard. Um, coaches, you got authority, you're in this position. It's really easy to, uh, to tell everybody what to do and go home and do things your own way. But I think if you're going to ask other people to do it. You need to be willing to, to get your hands dirty and do it with them. Um, and, uh, and that's really helped me, I think along the way. So yeah, grateful for all those people that have poured into me along the way. And, and, uh, and I would say that's certainly advice I'd love to pass on. It's, it, that's all helped me. You guys are rock stars. I knew this would be a perfect match made in podcast heaven. Uh, we <laughs> certainly got together today, all three of us, and we helped make certified audio gold. And I'm uh, beyond grateful. And we are here in the national office for coaches like you that are out in this community that are truly have that, that lifelong learning spirit. And the more that we can get guys like you on this call, we can get this out for all of our thousands of coaches that are paying attention to this. We can start taking that in and, again, positively changing the culture of coaching. We're doing it behind and with men like you all. So, again, Brett Thomas from Blast Motion, Rob Ruiz from Westmont College. Gentlemen, thank you for jumping on the call. We wish you the best of luck and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Sheets. Appreciate it. It's been an honor, my man. Thank you. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great teachers and coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe, and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. Another huge thanks to the great people over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. So if you're looking to do any field upgrades at your facility, head over to astroturf.com. That's astroturf.com and see why they have been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ABCA1945. And make sure you subscribe to our new YouTube channel, over at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 for the latest videos and projects that we have on deck for each of you. And finally, feel free to reach out to me directly if I can help you out on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. So as always, coaches, thanks for staying dialed into our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.